roughly 30 years ago, a commercial came on a scene that had every kid memorized and singing the same tune. Um, I want to show you this commercial, and I want you to tell me after we're done um, if this commercial is familiar to any of you guys. We can show that. You guys remember that? Yeah, so this commercial came out roughly 30 years ago. It had everybody singing uh, the same exact tune. And everybody wanted to be like Mike. Now, before I kind of go any further, and I'll preface it uh, by saying um, I didn't want to be like Mike. Um, I don't like Michael Jordan. I'm straight up. Just no, 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 no cap. I, I, don't, I didn't want to be like Mike. I don't like Michael Jordan. Um, and the spirit really had to work with me uh, in preparations to actually show this commercial. And now for the second time, have to watch this commercial. <laughs> Because I, like, I don't like Michael Jordan because um, I was and I still am a Detroit Pistons Bad Boys fan. Yeah. Right? Like if, if you watched NBA basketball from like the mid-80s, roughly through the late 80s to the early 90s, you know the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons kind of went at it. Like this is when the Pistons were actually good. You know, and they kept, they kept going at it, right? Like you remember there was like Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer, uh, the microwave, Vinnie Johnson. We had John Sally, Rick Mahorn, Dennis Rodman before he went off in left field. Like we had, <laughs> we, we, we had the team, right? So I, I, I never liked um, Michael Jordan, but I believe there is application from the commercial and from the message in which this commercial conveys. So I will try my best to swallow my pride and my distaste for this man who's won six championships, one of which in which he pushed Byron Rosso, and that should have been a foul, and he shouldn't have won. Anyways, <laughs> I, will, I will remove my distaste from Michael Jordan um, and kind of share through this. Um, did, did you hear um, the opening lyrics of this commercial? Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. And, and the singer of this song and every single kid who watched that commercial dreamed of being like Mike. Like th these were my friends when I was a child. They, they really wanted to be like Mike and they were trying to do whatever they could to convince me to be like Mike. You know, they would, they would uh, try to shoot the jump shot like Mike would shoot it. They would, they would run to the clothing closet in gym class so they can grab the number 23 jersey, just like Michael Jordan. And, and yes, they would even drive for a layup with their tongue out, just like Michael Jordan. They, they wanted to be just like Mike. Now me, because I didn't like Michael because I was a Pistons fan, they would do whatever they could to convince me to be like Mike. So, so what they would do, they would provide evidence or statistics to try to convince me and encourage me to be like him. Now, now at the time in which this commercial aired, which is, I think, August of 1991, Michael had just won his first championship. So they would utilize that as proof, but they would also kind of share his statistics that kind of convince me to be like Mike. For instance, they would, they would say that um, at this point of his career, he was averaging roughly 31 points a game, shooting roughly 51% for his career. He'd been named in numerous all-star teams. He had been a slam dunk champion twice. Um, he had been a league MVP, and he's also now an NBA champion. And it's interesting, when you actually take the opportunity to kind of hear the evidence, like, why wouldn't you want to be like Mike, right? When you hear kind of the evidence or the body of work, it's no reason why, no wonder why my friends wanted to really be like Mike. Now, as I'm kind of looking at this now, kind of like almost 30 years later, I'm realizing how foolish this commercial actually really was. 
Not because Mike's in it and he's a Chicago Bull, not a Piston. That's part of it. But, but, but also because of the fact that, like, why would I want to be like Mike? Where at the very core and foundation, he is fallen and sinful just as I am. But, but also, why would I want to be like Mike? And it, it, you're thinking of this song, it's incredibly seasonal. Because I'm willing to bet you, if I called up each and every one of my friends from 30 years ago and asked them today if they still wanted to be like Mike, they would probably say no. Even, they're probably not even in the kind of shape that Michael Jordan is even in now to even attempt to be like Mike in the first place. So it's incredibly seasonal, right? When you take the opportunity to look at Paul's letter to those in Philippi, particularly in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, you have what many scholars suggest is a hymn. A hymn those in Philippi would have sung. Except here, Paul is not talking about, and those in Philippi are not singing about an NBA superstar. Paul is talking about, and those in Philippi are singing about Jesus. And kind of at the very core and at the foundation of what they are singing about, you kind of get a feel for the opening lyrics of the song in which we just heard. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. And as we continue on in our series and the fight for joy, we get to have the opportunity this morning to allow the spirit within us to allow us to put the work and not to be like Mike, but to be like Jesus. We, we get to encounter and to see the joy and the privilege that comes with being like Jesus. So if you have a copy of the word of God with you this morning, I encourage you to join me in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And um, we're going to begin our time this morning at verse number five. <clears throat> Philippians chapter two. Starting at verse number five. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul, as he exhorts this community to have this same mindset, this exhortation in which Paul has is twofold. One of which it actually points back. It points back to everything Paul has already been sharing and already been talking to this community about. If we think specifically for us, two weeks ago, Pastor Tom talked about the idea of living a life that is worthy of the gospel. And even last week, we talked about the idea of this basis and this call for unity through humility. These are the things in which Paul is asking them to think back on and to have the same mindset about. And they're to have the same mindset amongst in their relationships or what the Greek says, among them. That this wasn't just supposed to be a concept, something they keep for themselves, but it's something that should be displayed in the community in which they lived. And think about this. If each and every person in the community is displaying the same mindset, what you have is a community that is saturated in Jesus Christ. You have a community that is like-minded, a community that is loving, a community that experiences humility about itself. And Paul wants them to have this same mindset. His exhortation not only points back, but it also points forward. It points forward as he now mentions Jesus. And, and in mentioning Jesus, what Paul is saying is that, look, this same mindset I'm encouraging each and every one of you to display amongst one another and in the community is a mindset in which Jesus Christ himself has. It's a mindset in which Jesus has already shown and what Paul is encouraging of this community to do, be like Jesus. In your relationships, as you're out in culture, as you interact with one another, be just like 
Jesus. Now, instantly, in my opinion, Paul could have closed this part of the chapter, continued on with chapter two and the chapter three, because he mentions Jesus, and that's kind of just the final straw. But what Paul proceeds to do is the exact same thing my friends would do in encouraging me to be like Mike. Paul goes forth and shares evidence. He, he shares evidence with the community as to why they should choose to be like Jesus. And the evidence in which Paul will share is not how to dribble a ball or any statistical information. Paul will walk through this community about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And it's his hope and prayer that the incarnation of Jesus Christ will serve as motivation to allow the spirit to work in and through them to be more like Jesus Christ. And it's our prayer this morning that as we journey through this hymn and journey through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that we will likewise be encouraged to allow the spirit within each and every one of us to cultivate our hearts and to see the joy and the privilege that comes with being like Jesus. So, so Paul, as he begins to kind of share uh, his evidence as to why to be like Jesus, Paul begins by sharing the attitude of Jesus. He, he begins by sharing the attitude of Jesus. Look at verses uh, six and seven. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So, so here is Paul giving us evidence of the attitude of Jesus and what he says of Jesus is that he is indeed God. But he doesn't look at his equality with God as something that should be taken advantage of. Uh, this word advantage actually means grasp or to mean seized. And Jesus is kind of flipping on his head this whole kingly idea of exerting power and exerting authority. Jesus actually looks at the fact that he is indeed God and indeed a king as not something to be grasped or seized or to be taken advantage of. But Jesus does what is mentioned in verse number seven. He, he becomes nothing. He empties himself. He pours himself out, taking on the very nature of a servant being in human likeness. Here is Jesus, who is every bit of God, every bit of a king, but he doesn't come into culture and into society lording over people or coming in as God and as a king. He comes as a servant. He comes in human likeness. He comes surrendering that whole idea. If that word servant uh, rings a bell, it should ring a bell. If you think back uh, to Philippians 1, we came to understand that this word servant in reference to Paul and Timothy actually means this word slave. And as we kind of talked about Paul and Timothy being slaves to the father, it's in this sense that we see Jesus Christ himself being a much a very servant and a slave to his father. And it's interesting. Paul chooses to use this word nature in reference to speaking about Jesus as being God and being the servant or the slave. Uh, this word nature can, uh, nature can also mean form. And, and what Paul is not saying, he's not saying that, that Jesus is exhibiting outward characteristics that makes him God and makes him a servant. What, what Paul is saying in light of the mindset, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the very definition of being a God and being a servant. Remember, Jesus is God. Jesus is the pre-existent one. Jesus existed before there even was an existence. And oftentimes what we do is we take words of the culture and we bring Jesus to those words. What Paul is saying is you start with Jesus and you bring these words to Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that, look, Jesus is the very definition of God and Jesus is the very definition of a servant. Jesus was, is, and will always be God 
and a servant to his father. So, so, so what we see of Jesus, we have a pre-existent Jesus who does not look at his ability of him being God and a king as something to be grasped or to be seized, but he gives it away, becoming nothing, emptying, pouring out himself, becoming and made in the nature of a servant, being in human likeness. What Paul is encouraging this community what he's encouraging each and every one of us, if we desire to have the same mindset of Jesus Christ, if we desire to be like Jesus, what Paul is encouraging, and here it comes, countercultural, what he's encouraging is to disadvantage yourself for the advantage of others. Ooh, it got quiet. He's calling us to disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of others. Remember, Jesus is God. Jesus is king, but when he comes to earth... He pours himself out. And he does it for each and every one of us. He disadvantages himself for the advantage of others. And the reason why this is so countercultural, because we as people, we love power. We, we love to be in control. We like to lord over people. We like to look down on other people. We like to think of ourselves as significant. We like to think we are prestigious. And what Paul is saying is that if you want Paul, I mean, you want Jesus' mindset, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to give rid of all that stuff in you. You need to disadvantage yourself for the advantage of others. Maybe that means in disadvantaging yourself for the, for the advantage of others. Maybe that means if you're a business owner or if you happen to be a manager, maybe that means caring about the overall well-being of your employees rather than your bottom line. Maybe that means if you are a spouse, maybe you've been at work all day and you're just tired and you're spent, but maybe that means you going home and you cooking the meal and you handling the household duties so your, other, so your spouse who's been at home with the kids can actually have a night of rest themselves. Maybe that means putting others above yourself. Maybe that's, maybe that's being in such a place that we allow the spirit to guide how we handle our financial resources and allow the spirit to dictate who we give to no matter what their background is, no matter what their situation is, or whether you feel they deserve it or not. Disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of other people. That if we really want to be like Jesus and have his mindset embody his attitude, thinking of others above yourself. So, so Paul now, not only talks about um, embodying Jesus' attitude and being like Jesus, but he also shares that you should also exhibit Jesus' actions. Je exhibit Jesus' actions. Look at verse number eight. <clears throat> and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So again, Paul is still kind of picking up on this previous thought, but now he carries it forward to say that Jesus is this obedient and he is this humble servant of the Father who goes forth and experiences death. Death by means of the cross. He, he is the willful servant of the plan of his Father by experiencing the humility and the humiliation of the cross. What is very interesting is that as Jesus goes to the cross and he experiences humility, as he experiences humiliation, um, Jesus willfully submits to it. Because remember, Jesus is God. No one can humiliate God. No one can humble God unless Jesus chooses to allow himself to experience these things. So what we see in and of Jesus is Jesus is this obedient, humble servant of his father who loves so sacrificially that he loves to the very end. 
He, he, he's this obedient servant over the plan of the Father for his life and for each and every one of us. He's humble. He's a servant. He's obedient to this plan, loving so sacrificially that he loves to the very end, even when persecution and suffering comes. Like, I, I can just try to imagine, I try to imagine um, the council and the meeting that happened within the Godhead. And in this council and this meeting within the Godhead, it was concluded that Jesus is the source of hope for all of humanity. So Jesus willfully decides to leave the perfection of heaven, being born of a woman without any male assistance, coming into a world full of hell and full of sin. And, and as he's coming, he begins his ministry is met with some fanfare, but eventually met with insult and with ridicule, uh, especially with Judas who sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is eventually handed over to the authorities and Jesus eventually goes before Pilate. Pilate eventually sends him to Herod, but before I'm going to Herod and all the other people, Jesus has ex uh, experienced his time in prison. He eventually goes before Herod, goes before other people. He's whipped in the process before he is sentenced to death by means of the cross. And Jesus is so weak from not eating and not drinking anything, so weak from being uh, whipped that he can't even carry his own cross to the crucifixion site. So a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene actually goes and carries his cross to the crucifixion fight site. It is there that Jesus has a crown of thorns etched into his head and blood begins to shed. It is then where nails go into his hands, into his feet on the cross. The cross is lifted upright and due to gravity, his body begins to drop and droop. And Jesus experiences pain in which he has never experienced before. Each and every breath in which Jesus takes excruciating pain, and it's a struggle. And this is where we find Jesus, naked on a cross, experiencing ridicule, and shame, humiliation, insults, wrath, and judgment from the Father. It is here that Jesus is struggling to breathe, but yet manages to get out seven sayings out of his mouth before he gives of his spirit before his Father, dying a criminal's death on a Roman cross. Loving so sacrificially that he loves to the very end, even if it leads to suffering and persecution. If you ever needed evidence that you're loved, that you're someone of value, that you're someone of significance. Think of the cross. If you ever needed proof that you are someone worth dying for, think of the cross. And look, I know we live in a culture that just throws around the word love without any type of significance attached to it. That, that people use the word love for selfish game, game seek, seeking to just please themselves, taking advantage of you and your kindness and your love. And I'm here to tell you that if you've been in that very space and you've been taken advantage of and no one has really told you that they loved you and you're someone of value and significance, my encouragement to you, look at the cross. Because Jesus has shown you that. Not only that, recognize today is Father's Day. For many of you, today is a joyful day. Your father's here, maybe you're a father. Today is a wonderful day, but if we're honest, there could be some within our body here this morning, those watching online, that today is not a great day. Maybe their father has just been distant. Maybe their father was abusive. 
Uh, maybe, maybe their father is no longer here. And this is the first of the, or many holidays in which their father is no longer here. And you are here and you desperately want to feel the love of a father. Look at the cross. Because it's at the cross where we see the greatest demonstration of love. That here is the father who loved the world or since he loved all of you so much before you even existed that he gifted each and every one of you his son. And here you have of Jesus who, who loved the father and his plan and loved each and every one of you so much that he goes to a cross and dies. He loves so sacrificially that he loves to the very end even if it leads to suffering and to persecution. And the same thing in which we have received from the Father and from Christ, Paul suggests it's the same thing we should be sharing with one another. We, we should be sharing this with one another. Again, this is countercultural because those in Philippi, those, those in Philippi looked at the cross as this place of humiliation. They looked at this place, the cross, as a place of just cruel torture um, that happens to be present. Uh, the cross looked at as a place where only foreigners and slaves were killed. But yet, this very place of the cross that was humiliation and torture and cruel and a place for foreigners and servants is yet the very place they find their Savior. Amen. The very place they find the one who's died for each and every one of them. It's the place where we find our Savior. And we likewise have this idea of the cross, that yeah, the cross is a place in which uh, servants, uh, where foreigners and slaves actually went. But we're called to do the same thing in which Jesus has done. That we ourselves, as servants, are slaves to the Father. Foreigners to this very world in which we live in, according to 1 Peter, are likewise supposed to pick up our cross, which is similar to the cross of Jesus Christ, to pick up our cross and to follow him. To love so sacrificially that we love to the very end, even if it means suffering and persecution comes. I mean, maybe that means you standing up for your coworker at the job, even if it may result in you not being the boss's favorite anymore. Maybe, maybe, that means you, maybe that means you loving that person through that sinfulness or through that addiction they may have, even though it seems like they let you down over and over and over. Maybe it means uh, loving that image bearer who experiences injustice in the midst of this society and standing in solidarity with them, realizing that you may experience the same pain and persecution and insult just as them. Maybe that means loving in such a way that you choose to value that boyfriend or that girlfriend and to stand on the principles of God and not engage in behavior that can hurt the both of you, that may be acceptable to the culture. Loving so sacrificially that I put you before myself. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to have his mindset, don't just um, embody his attitude of disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others, but also love so sacrificially. Even if you've been hurt, even if they hurt you to the core and people wonder why do you still love them and pray for them and support them? Because I choose to love sacrificially. Because I haven't always been right with my father, but yet he still loves me. He still blesses me. I'm still right within his arms. I extend the same exact thing towards other people. Galatians kind of, I'm not Galatians, but Philippians kind of 129 um, talks about how we're gifted with this ability, not only to believe, but we're gifted to be able to suffer 
for God. So we love sacrificially, even if suffering and persecution comes. So, so embodying Jesus' attitude, embodying Jesus' action, eventually leads to the acknowledgement of Jesus' exaltation. It leads to the acknowledgement of Jesus' exaltation. Look at verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. See, the, the, the life in which Jesus lived, his attitude, his actions, now leads to the Father um, giving him uh, the name that is above every name. It leads to him being highly exalted. Uh, I, I love this. this. This term highly exalted means super exalted. Kind of kind of places Jesus like as a superhero, like super exalted, like, you know. <laughs> but it means like super exalted or being exalted among and so this doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus' placement has changed. Like Jesus was, is, and always will be God. So that's not the thing here. What is basically being said is that Jesus has been elevated to the highest degree possible. He, he's been exalted above and he's been given a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every single tongue will confess that Jesus is indeed Lord to the glory of the Father. That, that all of creation is going to revere and state that this Jesus is indeed Lord, that this Jesus does indeed have authority. All tongues and all people will bow and confess this true reality. Jesus' attitude and his, act, and his actions leads to his exaltation and now being exalted to this highest place. What Paul is not saying, he's not saying that if you live a life with this mindset or you live a life like Jesus, that you yourself will be exalted. He is not saying that. What Paul is saying is that when you live a life that's like Jesus, when you live with this mindset, seeking to have his attitude and having his actions, it leads to the exaltation of Jesus. Not yourself, it leads to the exaltation of Jesus. Again, this would have been counterculture because those in Philippi lived their lives for the exaltation of themselves or, or for the exaltation of their family name. Or, or for the exaltation of whomever was in charge during this time. But what Paul is actually su suggesting is that, look, if you really want to be like Jesus, if you really want to have this mindset, the life in which you live will not exalt yourself. It will not exalt your, your family name. It will not exalt whosoever is in charge, but it will exalt Jesus and Jesus alone. And may I even suggest that, that we likewise oftentimes live for the exaltation of ourselves or we live for the exaltation of our profession, or we, we live for the exaltation of our family name, or we, we live for the exaltation of our political party of preference, or we, we live for the exaltation of nationalism. But may I encourage you, those of you who are here, those of you watching online, that if you really want to have the same mindset of Jesus Christ, if you really want to be like Jesus, if you embody his attitude and his actions, it doesn't lead to your exaltation. It doesn't exalt your family name. It doesn't exalt your profession. It doesn't it doesn't exalt your political party of preference. It doesn't exalt nationalism. It exalts Jesus and Jesus alone. 
all for the glory of the Father. See, the fact that the Father highly exalts Jesus glorifies the Father because Jesus being highly exalted and being Lord over all brings Jesus into the very nature of the Father. And each and every one of us, as we allow the Spirit to work within each and every one of us, becoming more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ, it exalts Jesus, but it also brings glory to the Father because we're eventually being made more and more into the very nature of God himself. So the question to ask this morning is, who are you seeking to be like? You're seeking to be like Mike? And Mike is very much just a metaphor for the culture. Are you seeking to be like the culture? Very cutthroat, very much loving based upon condition? Seeking to be a prideful and to seek your, think of yourself as important and significant? Seeking to look down on other people who don't have the same economic level of you, who don't live in the same neighborhood as you? Seeking to be people who only think of self and not thinking of other people? Is that who you want to be like? Or do you want to be like Jesus? Is your life one that resembles Jesus? Is your life one in which if Jesus looked down at you right now, he would swear he's looking at the mirror himself? Is your life one that brings not only yourself, but everyone else around you joy? If you remember, we're on this fight for joy. And, and, and the whole point here, we kind of established this very early on, that true and sincere joy only comes through Jesus Christ. Like everything else in the culture, in our world, brings us happiness. But the one person that brings us joy is Jesus. Which means that if, Je- if the one person who brings us joy is Jesus, then if we embody his mindset or we seek to be like Jesus, it brings joy not only to us, but everyone else around us. Think about it, think about it. It brings joy to us and everyone else around us because in our relationships with one another, we carry on the very heart and the very character of Jesus himself. Think about it. We have his very heart. We, have it. we love like he loves. We show compassion like he shows compassion. We, we sacrifice like he sacrifices. Jesus becomes the very root and the core in all the relationships we seek to have. Imagine what our city would look like. Imagine what our neighborhoods would look like. Imagine what our world would look like. Imagine what this church would look like if we had this same type of attitude of Jesus. Everyone would feel that they're valued, that they're loved, and that they belong, that they're someone of significance. Everyone would show compassion. There would no longer be a blind eye to injustice. We wouldn't look down on people based upon their zip code or or their race or their culture. We would love all people because we seek to have Jesus Christ at the very root of our relationships. We would look at one another as image bearers and image bearers alone. We, we, we would have relationships in that people, when we begin to interact with one another, it is as if we are interacting with the Savior himself. It brings the very heart and character into our relationships, and this brings joy. But not only this, as we have the very heart and character of God, uh, Christ present in our relationships, and this brings us joy, this serves as a foretaste of our eternal reality. 
This serves as a foretaste of our eternal reality because when we embody the very mindset of Jesus Christ, when we seek to be like him, we point people to exalt Jesus Christ and we point people to glorify the Father. That, that, that the lives in which we live as we interact with those in the culture who may not know of Jesus or those who may be distant from him, as we live our lives, it points people to Jesus and it points people to the Father. That, that when you take the opportunity to be the literal hands and feet of Jesus Christ, you, your life has the opportunity to point people to the one in which they need to bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. That when you take the opportunity to get out of your selfish desires and take on a posture of being a humble and obedient servant to the Father, you have the opportunity through your life to point people to our crucified but yet victorious Savior. When you take the opportunity to live the gospel, people have the opportunity to experience the gospel. See, the fact of the matter is that living a life rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, living a life for Jesus Christ where we seek to have his mindset brings others joy and brings us joy as we point them to the Son and as we point them to the Father. And look, I completely get it. I completely understand. This is going to be incredibly difficult because everything in which we said is completely countercultural. I know it's going to be hard. See, I know it's going to be hard to allow the spirit to change up some things on the inside of you where you start to think of others above yourself. I, I know it's going to be hard to allow the spirit to remove pride and to remove selfishness and this idea of being in authority and being in control. I, I know it's going to be hard to have the spirit love, have you love people who don't want to love you back and to love people who you feel in your mind don't deserve to be loved. I, I, I know it's going to be hard to allow the spirit to change you and people from the world and the culture who you're once cool and friends with are going to look look at you weird. I know it's going to be hard. But my encouragement to each and every one of you and each and every one of you watching online, my encouragement to you is to keep your eyes on the big picture. Keep keep your eyes on the big picture, just as Jesus himself kept his eyes on the big picture, fulfilling the plan of his father, keeping each and every one of you in mind as he makes this ascent to the cross. Keep your eyes on the big picture. What's the big picture? Because one day we are going to behold the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of our Lord and Savior. One day as we behold the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, he is going to return again and be bringing with him his kingdom. And we're going to come face to face with Jesus himself face to face with the very one who disadvantaged himself for each and every one of ours advantage. We're going to come face to face with the one who loved so sacrificially for each and every one of you that he went to a cross and died the death of a criminal. We're going to come face to face with the one in which God the Father has highly exalted. Face to face with the one in which the Father has given a name that is above every other name. And it's in that moment that we will become witnesses but also participants. That At the name of Jesus Christ, each and every one of our knees are going to bow and each and every one of our tongues are going to confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord to the glory of the Father. So look, I know it's going to be hard and and, and I know it's going to be a struggle and I know there's going to be moments you're going to want to give up and I know you're going to want to feel like you're going to cry in the middle of the night, but let me tell you, a day is going to come where we're going to leave the pain and the ridicule and the insults and the injustice 
and the harm of this world and we are going to dwell with Jesus Christ and forever and ever and ever we will extol Jesus Christ as Lord over all for the glory of the Father. That is a great place to give God some praise. Why would you ever want to be like Mike? See, full circle, see? Not only a piston, he ain't Jesus either. (laughs) We get to be like the Savior. Seriously, let let that sink in a little bit. This isn't just some celebrity or some YouTube idol or some, you know, internet sensation. This is the Savior of the world. And we are called to be like him. Paul has shared evidence as encouragement to be like Jesus. And it's my hope and prayer that you will allow the spirit within each and every one of you to touch your hearts and to allow the spirit of God to make you more and more like Jesus. Made in his image bearing his likeness, being a humble and obedient servant of the Father for the exaltation of Jesus Christ and for the glory of the Father. Brothers and sisters, that's true joy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.